We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ, and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Why Bother with the Church? That's the title of this short little book written by pastor and author Sam Albury. And the reason he titled it that is because oftentimes when we think about the church, we don't have such good thoughts. Some of us, we remember times when we've been burned by a church or its members or its leadership. We remember times when churches split when there was strife, when there was difficulty. Maybe even for some of us, we remember times of abuse in the church. See, for some of us, the church is not a beautiful good thing, but something that brings back a lot of painful memories. And the church is difficult for some of us. It reminds us of growing up and how we had to dress up for all the nice church people and do all the right things, and we always wondered if, if people actually knew who we really were, would they just reject us? Would they just ridicule us? It reminds us of some of the times when we've been in churches where maybe we've been the minority culture and, and things have just been awkward, and, and people don't seem to understand that. See, when we think about the church, oftentimes what comes to our mind is not the beauty of a forgiven people saved by grace that have been brought together despite all their differences, but we think of the times when we've been hurt, when church has been difficult for us. And so we ask, why bother? Why bother with the church? Why bother understanding it? Why bother taking a Sunday or multiple Sundays to look at what the church is and why it's important that we be a part of it? If there's so much pain in the church, then why bother? Well, just as a pastor, could I just admit something to you and, and, and offer some words of encouragement? Churches are hard. Churches can be difficult. Churches are filled with broken people that often hurt others. And so if you're in this room this morning and, and the, the concept of church is just difficult for you and, and, and even being here this morning is, is hard for you because of what you've experienced, can I just say I'm, I'm so sorry I'm, I'm so sorry for the pain that you've been through because I know it's real. Because I know from my own experience that churches are hard. I know as a pastor that churches are difficult places filled with difficult people. And, and the church is not an easy thing for us to think about. And so if that's where you're at this morning, I'm so sorry. And and I hope this morning that God can show us some of the beauty of his bride. That he can show us some of the redemptive, restorative things that happen through the church of Jesus Christ. Despite our pain, despite our difficulty, despite how hard it is for us to even think about church or go to a church because of what we've been through, I hope that Jesus will show us why he loves his bride this morning. Charles Spurgeon, he called the church the dearest place on earth. And and for most of us, we don't think about the church that way. But I I want you to hear his words that he said around that phrase. As he called the church the dearest place on earth, I want you to hear what he said. So I'm going to read to you his words. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about the church. 
and our role in it. He said, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you almost feel glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment that I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony of God would be lost to the world. As I have already said, the church is faulty. But that is no excuse for your not joining it if you are the Lord's. Nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people. But a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace. Who though they are are saved are still sinners and need all the help that they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children. Where they are nourished and grow strong, it is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. And so even Spurgeon, as he called the church the dearest place on earth, he acknowledged that it was broken. He acknowledged that it was hard to be a part of a church. But as he did so, he reminded his readers, those who heard him, that that's also one of the beautiful things about churches. They're filled with broken, messed up people, which means churches have room for you and me too. You see, the church is a beautiful thing because, and it's the dearest place on earth because of what Jesus is doing in and through his people. It's not beautiful because of the ways in which we hurt one another or the mistakes we make or the sins we commit. It's beautiful because the God who made us is redeeming us and has brought us together as a people despite our differences, despite our pains, despite our sorrows. Jesus loves the church because it is his people and is his bride and he is committed to us. And so I hope, I hope we can look at some of those beautiful realities this morning. And, and I hope that if the church has been a difficult place for you, if this church has been a difficult place for you, I hope you would open your heart in this moment and just allow God to speak to you. Allow God to speak to us as a people. Pastor Cameron pointed out that the, the, the church is not about any one of us. It's about all of us who have been saved by grace, reconciled to God through Christ, and reconciled to one another. So would you just pause and pray with me for a moment, and then we'll jump into answering this question, what is the church? Lord Jesus, we, we ask for your Spirit's presence in this moment. We ask that you would powerfully work in us this morning. God, I pray for my friends who have been hurt by churches. God, I pray that they would see your beauty this morning and the beautiful things that you're doing in your people. And that they would have hope this morning that maybe they've not had in a long time because of the work that you accomplish in us. Lord, churches are not about us. They're about you, our King. And so, King Jesus, we ask for your help this morning. We ask for your spirit to bring comfort and peace. And we ask that you would move in mighty ways through your people. In your glorious and awesome name we pray. Amen. Well, what is the church? If you want to open to a couple of places in your Bible, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 16 and 1 Peter chapter 2, among a number of other passages and verses this morning. But you can put some bookmarks there. We'll spend a little bit of time in those two passages, Matthew 16 and 1 Peter chapter 2. But what is the church? 
Well, I think, I think an easy way to understand it is to say that the, the church is made up of all believers in Jesus Christ throughout time and space, but, but it's visibly expressed and, and seen in, in the present through local gatherings of believers called local churches. So there's this universal church that's made up of all believers throughout all time and all space, all those who have said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's expressed in visible communities of faith that are local, tangible, you can see them. The church is both of these things. And, and we could say this, the, the church, as we're going to see in Matthew 16 and other passages, the church is the community of the eternal kingdom of God, which is expressed through local embassies of ambassadors called churches. So, so first, before we jump into Matthew chapter 16, I want you to see something about the gospel and the kingdom of God. When we hear these words in scripture, it's important that we know what they mean and how they relate to one another. And so in, in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus shows up on the scene and starts preaching for the first time, we read this. In Mark chapter 1, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, the gospel that we believe to enter into Christ's church the message we put our hope in is intimately tied to and related to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God that God is establishing. And so the gospel and the kingdom of God, the gospel of God, the kingdom of God, they're tied together in scripture. For Jesus to show up and preach the gospel was to preach about the kingdom and so later in Matthew's gospel, we read this, and when he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So we, we can say it this way, the gospel is, is the good news that Jesus the king has come to establish his redemptive and restorative rule and reign. And he's establishing this rule and reign on earth by calling people to himself. He, he's preaching good news of a coming kingdom that's going to be redemptive and restorative. He's preaching about his rule. He's saying the king is here to bring about redemption and restoration. This is what the gospel involves, is King Jesus coming to redeem a people for himself. And that people is called the church. You see, Jesus speaks about the church and the kingdom together in Matthew chapter 16. So if you're there or turning there, that's where we're going to be for a couple of minutes. Here's what we read starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's asking them, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so in this passage, we see Jesus asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give all these different answers because people are confused about who this man is. They see him doing miraculous things. They see the kingdom of God being displayed in the work and ministry of this man. And they're asking themselves, who is this? So some say, well, he must be a great prophet. Or maybe he's John the Baptist come back from the dead. You know, John did some great things too. And then Jesus says, well, well who do you say that I am? As my disciples 
Who do you know me to be? And, and Peter's response here is key for us. He says, you are the Christ. Christ is another word for Messiah. And the Jewish people, they, they would, how they would have thought about the Messiah is they would have thought about a conquering king that was coming to establish God's rule and reign on the earth, and he would rule and reign forever. There would be no end to his kingdom. And so when Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, Peter's saying, you're the king we've been longing for. You're the king we've been looking for. So see, in in the New Testament, to see the kingdom of God was to see it displayed in the presence and rule and reign of King Jesus. When we confess that Jesus is Christ, we're saying he's our savior, but we're also saying that he's our king. That there is no area of life in which he does not have dominion over. Jesus is the God who made all things, and he's the God who is redeeming and restoring all things, and he is the coming king that was promised. This is what Peter tells us. He says, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the king. And then Jesus, in the same passage, he talks about, notice two things, he talks about the church and the kingdom. Almost a a sentence apart, if that. Jesus talks about the church and the kingdom of God as though they're intimately tied together. Because here's what we have to understand about the church. Is the church is this visible expression of the community of the kingdom. It is the people that have said, Jesus is my king. And I belong to him. That's what we said last week that we were declaring through baptism, right? Is that Jesus is king, Jesus is savior, Jesus is Lord. And I'm publicly declaring that I belong to him, that I'm a part of his people, of his kingdom. And so Jesus talks about the church and the kingdom intimately together. He tells Peter that he'll build his church on him as a rock and give him and the church that is associated with him the keys of the kingdom. So Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and then I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. He's giving the keys of the kingdom of God to the the church that he is building, that Jesus is building. This is Jesus' work. And so when we think about this word church, though, and Jesus says, I I will build my church, we have to understand what that word meant in the original context. When when, when people used this word in the New Testament time, what they were referring to was a gathering or an assembly. So, So when we think about church, we ought to think about the church as a gathering of believers. It's a gathered people. That's what the church is fundamentally is it's the gathered people of God. It's those who have trusted in Jesus as king and said, he's my Lord, he's my savior, and then they've gathered together as his people. And so to be a part of God's gathered people was to belong to God's kingdom. So essentially for Peter and the church to say to someone, you're a part of the church, was for them to recognize the work that Jesus had done in them was to say, Jesus has made you a part of his kingdom, people. You belong to Jesus. You're a part of his people. You're a part of his kingdom. You belong to the community of the king. And so Peter, when we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, his words, he speaks about the church as a holy nation of people living as sojourning representatives of God himself. And so 1 Peter chapter 2, I hope you'll turn there with me and and read some of this with me. You don't have to read it aloud, but we're going to read it. (laughs) Just to clarify. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Here's what we read. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. He's talking about Jesus here. Jesus is the living stone rejected by men. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, talking about us, 
are like living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ. The church is built on Jesus. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. When we think about a cornerstone, a cornerstone was this large stone that formed the foundation of the entire structure. They selected this big, massive stone that was perfect to form the foundation for everything else they were going to build. And so what he's saying is this stone that everyone has rejected, they rejected the coming Messiah when they crucified him. Yet this one that you crucified has become the cornerstone on which God's people is built. God's church is built on Jesus, the cornerstone. That's become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen to this part. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Did you see how Peter talked about the church? He talks about it as this, as this spiritual building, this spiritual house made for God, by God, right? And it reminds us of Jesus' words in Matthew 16 when, when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you are the rock, and I, on, on this rock I'm going to build my church, He's not saying that, that Peter is the foundation of the church, but he's saying that Peter is one of the first stones that he's putting into place in his spiritual house. And he says, I'm going to keep building this thing. Jesus builds his church, not people. But he uses us as we preach the gospel of the kingdom and he calls people to himself, he continues to add people to this spiritual house that is God's people, the church. And then Peter says that this people, it's a chosen race, a royal priesthood, or a holy nation. And so a way to understand this people that is the church is to think about it in terms of a nation or a kingdom, where there's a king who's in charge and, and this nation is filled with representatives of the king and his rule. The church is a holy nation of God's people who live in the world as sojourners or exiles. They're his representatives in a place that doesn't acknowledge his rule. But Paul describes Christians this way. He describes us as God's appointed ambassadors. He says, Therefore we as ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul and Peter say we're representatives of God. It's like a nation that has an embassy in a place where it doesn't rule and reign. So when you think about the U.S. has embassies all over the world in different countries, and there are representatives in those local embassies in those countries that represent the United States. And vice versa, we have embassies in our country with representatives of other countries. And similarly, when we think about the church and the kingdom of God, 
The church is this community of the kingdom where, where Jesus' rule and reign is, is visibly seen through these local embassies called churches. Because God's representatives are there, God's ambassadors are there, those who have been entrusted with the good news that Jesus came to be sin for us so that we might not be held by sin anymore, so that we might have life in him. We've been entrusted with this gospel, this good news. We're ambassadors of the kingdom. So, so to be a part of the church was to be a part of God's holy nation, his people, the people that he was calling to himself and building for himself. The church is a people that represents God wherever they are in local, visible, tangible ways. And, and so if, if, if the church and the kingdom are related like this, if, if the church is this community of people who have said Jesus is king, then this has some serious implications for us. Because if, if Jesus is king and we're citizens of God's kingdom, then that means that we represent him in every time and place we find ourselves in, and there's no area of life that should be outside the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. This means if you are saying Jesus is king, Jesus is my king, then there is no area of your life that you cannot submit to him. Every area of life should be submitted to King Jesus because you're a citizen, a member of his people. You belong to this holy nation. And so Peter says our, our conduct among the Gentiles, among those who don't believe, should be honorable. The way we live our lives ought to reflect that we are a part of Christ's church, that we're a part of his people, that he's called to himself and redeemed by his grace. This means, guys and, and, and ladies, your marriages should reflect the rule of King Jesus. The way you parent your children should reflect the rule of King Jesus. The way you use your singleness, friends, should reflect the rule and reign of King Jesus. The way you do your job should reflect the rule and reign of King Jesus. The way you accept God's gifts of sex and money and life and utilize those things that he's given us for his glory and our good should reflect the rule and reign of King Jesus. Friends, we are citizens of a kingdom that belong to a king. This is what the church is. We're a holy nation, a people called by God for his own possession. And that means that there's not a single area in your life that shouldn't be submitted to him. Whether it be your, the desires of your heart, the thoughts of your mind, the decisions that you make in life, the actions that you do, the words that you speak to other people, all of these things should reflect the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Because we've been redeemed by a king, and so we should live like it. Like we belong to him. Like he is what is most valuable to us. This is what the church is. But, but we need to talk about, about two aspects of the church as well. We need to talk about the universal church and the local church. And how, how these two things can be understood, how they relate to one another. So, so what is the universal church? Well, the universal church is made up of all believers in Jesus Christ throughout time and space. That was part of our definition of the church, right? So the universal church, so maybe you've heard this word Catholic or Catholic before describing a church. So, so that word itself means universal. So there's the Roman Catholic Church, right, which is a specific sect of Christianity or, or some would call it a denomination or whatever you might call it. It's a specific group of Christians, right, or of people who claim to be Christians, right? And so, but the word Catholic or, or Catholic itself means universal. And so the Roman Catholic Church does not have the, the say-so to say this is the only church, though they, they claim that it's the true church. But the word universal or Catholic refers to all believers in Jesus Christ throughout time and space. 
Everyone who has trusted in Jesus the King. Everyone who has put their faith in the Messiah that God would send. This is the universal church. It's this people who have trusted in Jesus. It's, and it means it's not any particular denomination. It's everyone who has trusted in King Jesus. It's, it's not just the Southern Baptists, though we love Southern Baptists, right? It's not just the Assemblies of God. It's not just any denomination. It is all believers throughout time and space who have placed their faith in this king and said, he's my Lord and Savior. Every one of us belongs to the universal church when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. This is the universal church. And there's, there's three metaphors in Scripture that I think help us understand the universal church. First, the, the church is the bride of Christ. And so in the Old Testament... When we look at passages like Hosea 1, verse 2, God refers to his people as an adulterous bride that he faithfully loves despite her unfaithfulness to him. So when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land, which is another way of referring to God's people who were in the land, is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And then in Revelation, at the end of Scripture, we read this in chapter 21, verse 2. John describes this new city, Jerusalem, that's made up of God's people who dwell in this city. And it's presented as a bride. He said, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then in Ephesians, when Paul writes about marriage, he says that this mystery of marriage as he talks about the roles of husbands and wives in the marriage covenant, the marriage relationship, he says this mystery of marriage is actually about Christ and his church. See, husbands and wives are meant to display something of the beautiful relationship that King Jesus has with his people, the church. So the way that we live out our lives in in our marriages is to reflect the kingdom of God is to reflect the gospel, the good news that King Jesus has dedicated himself to his people and has given up everything in sacrificial love for them. This is how Paul talks about marriage. He says that marriage points us to the relationship between Christ and the church because the church is the bride of Christ. So when we think about marriage relationships and, and friendships that we have, so you and I, we're not going to be cool if, if you like me, but you hate my wife. That's just not going to work for me. And it doesn't work for Jesus either. Right? To, to follow King Jesus is to be a part of his bride, his people. And so we can't love Jesus and hate the church. Loving Jesus will lead us to be a part of his people, redeemed by his grace, no matter how messed up and broken we are. Love for Jesus results in love for people. Love for Jesus results in love for his bride, the church. And so the church is the bride of Christ. And, and, and here's the good news for, for those of us who, who feel like the church is just this place that's broken, filled with broken people who hurt one another and, and make mistakes and do all sorts of things. Here's the good news for us. It means there's space for you and me. It means we can be a part of it because this bride, she's been redeemed by God's grace, but she's not yet made perfect, which means there's room for sinners like you and me. There's room for you and me who also hurt people that we love. There's room for you and me who sin in all sorts of ways against the people around us, whether it's through our words and our actions or the desires and the thoughts that people don't even see. There's room for us in the church, friends. Because Jesus has said, I know the church is dirty and messed up and broken. And I love her anyways. The church being broken ought to give us hope because we can be a part of it. There's space for us. And Jesus is redeeming us and washing us with the water of his, of his word. He's making us new. He's making us clean. He is 
redeeming us and restoring us. The church is the bride of Christ. It's also the body of Jesus Christ. Remember in Ephesians 5, Paul says this, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Then in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, when he's talking about spiritual gifts, he refers to all members of the body of Christ as one body, the church. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Friends, that means we're different and God has made us one. We are different when it comes to ethnicity. We are different when it comes to socioeconomic backgrounds. We are different when it comes to education. We are different when it comes to levels of spiritual maturity. And that God, through Jesus Christ, has made people that would have no reason for relationship or unity with one another one body in him. He has brought different people together in the same head, the same Jesus. We are the body of Christ. He then begins to talk about different spiritual gifts that he's given and and the role of different parts of a physical body that he's using as an illustration for the different members of the church. We're different. God has wired us in different ways, given us different gifts and abilities to be used for his glory as we serve Jesus through the church. He says there's not a single part of the body that, that isn't necessary for this. Your body needs its head to live and direct it. Our head is King Jesus. We need him for life. We need him for direction. We need our head to direct us as the people of God. Jesus is the head of the church. Your body also needs all its arms and legs and and hands and fingers and feet and toes if it's to function according to its intended purposes. All of these parts of the body are necessary for what the body is made to do. And in the same way, Paul says, every member of Christ's body, the church, is necessary is a part of God's plan and work. The church is Christ's body. It's the means by which the head carries out his work in the world. See, friends, the church is God's plan. You say, man, well, not such a great plan, God. Look at these people. Look at me. You know why God does that? To show that it's, it's him working in and through us. It's, it's, it's not about you and, and, and how awesome you are. It's about how awesome our God is and what he's able to do through broken, messed up people in need of grace, in need of salvation, redemption, restoration. It's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ And we need each other. You need the church, and the church needs you. So if you feel like church is just this place where you come and you sit to to listen to somebody sing and somebody talk for a little while, you're missing the point. You're the point. Jesus' work in and through each and every one of us together as the body of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is about. Preaching and worship and and all these things are important for the body of Christ, for God's people as they gather in local churches. Those things are essential, but where the real work that Jesus is doing is, is through the body as a whole as we interact with one another and then as we go out from this place as God's ambassadors, his representatives, 
in a world that does not acknowledge his rule and reign. You are the body of Christ, friends. And stop thinking about how ungifted you are. That's not humility, that's pride. Some of us, we, we, we step back and we don't get involved with the church because we think there's more talented people who could be doing this or that. And so we just kind of step back and let other people do it. Friends, that is not humility. It's self-righteous pride. Because we're so concerned with ourselves and how, you know, I'm just really not that great and there's people who are better for this. And, and we can't seem to get outside of thinking about us to think about other people. Jesus isn't calling you to be the best at everything. But Jesus will use you despite you not being the best at anything. You're a part of his body. You need the church, and the church needs you. The church needs every aspect of its body. We need one another, friends. And we ought to dive in together into each other's lives, relationships, and the work that God has called us to do in sharing the gospel with the community around us and to the ends of the earth. There's not one of us who shouldn't be participating in this. We are the body of Christ, friends. Apparently, the the church is the temple of God. It's the spiritual house, as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. And then Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about the people of God as God's temple where God's spirit resides. And, and he points out, which, which I think is interesting, and I don't have time to go through it all right now, but I hope you'll go back and read 1 Corinthians, 5, or 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 17. And I want you to notice how, how Paul talks about how church leaders are not the point. The pastor is not the point. The pastors are not the point. God's work is through his people as a whole, not just through one or two men. The church is the temple where God's spirit resides, which means God's presence is with us and in us and works through us, each and every one of us, and us as a people together. I hope you'll go back and read that because I don't have time to camp out there. But what are local churches, though? Because, because the, the universal church is the bride of Christ, it's the body of Christ, it's the spiritual temple of God where his presence dwells. But what are local churches? Well, remember, we said lo- local churches are, are kind of like embassies. They're filled with God's representatives in a particular place that represent his rule and reign in their community. And so local churches are visible gatherings of believers in Jesus Christ who have committed to following Jesus together in a particular time and place. So this means the church, it's not a building, but a specific gathering of people. This is why decades ago, whenever our our church building burned down to the ground, the church wasn't destroyed. Because the church is not the building, it's the people. Local churches are specific gatherings of believers in Jesus Christ that meet in a particular time and place. Paul says this, to the, when he writes this letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1-2, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, He's talking about a local gathering of believers that meets in a specific place. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, he's saying those who are believers who meet in this place in Corinth, those who trust in Jesus, who have been changed by Jesus, called to be saints together with those who are in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Did you see how Paul refers to a local church and the universal church there? He says there's this group of believers that gathers in Corinth. They have saving faith in Jesus Christ, and they gather together and they meet there. But they're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of Lord Jesus Christ. So they're members of a local church, and they're also members of the universal church. 
We see, we see both ideas here. The, the, these members, they're, they're sanctified in Jesus, which means they're born-again believers. They're called to be saints, which means they have a common identity and mission. And they're those that are brought together in a local place, which means they meet in one place together. So, so members of a local church are identifiable by their common experience of saving grace. They, they know Jesus personally. They're brought together and identifiable by their identity as those who believe certain things together about God and what he's done in Christ. We sang earlier that song, This I Believe, and we declared what we believe together as a local church. And there are those who have a common calling or mission. They've been called by God for something, for the Great Commission, to make disciples, Every one of us is called to that, not just one or two of us. Churches need to gather to encourage one another in their walk with Christ. Hebrews 10 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. See that confession there? We confess something together as a local church without wavering. For he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, getting together, coming to church, gathering with other believers is important, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need community because God made us for relationships. In Genesis 1, God makes the man and then he says, it's not good that he should be alone. We were made for relationship, friends. We were made for community, and the church is a community of God's people who have been saved by his grace and called on his mission and equipped with his gifts for that mission. We need to gather so that we can encourage one another. Do you know what, one of, what some of the most important times in a local church are? And worship and preaching are good, necessary things that we need to do, but I'm not talking about that right now. What I'm talking about is when we get together to encourage one another, when we get together to pray together, when we get together to study the Bible together and talk about it. So when we gather on Wednesday nights to pray for one another and to pray for God's work in our community and to the nations, that is vital for a local church. When we get together in community groups and we talk about what God is teaching us through his word and how it applies to our lives and how we can encourage one another, correct one another, and teach one another the truths of God, that is vital and essential for us. We need to gather together as the church to sing, to hear preaching and teaching, but also to talk and to pray and then to serve with one another, to do things in our community. We have an opportunity to do that next weekend. And I hope you'll take advantage of that because we need you and, and, and we do this work together of serving God together. Because the church isn't just an organization, it's a family. First Timothy 3, he, when talking about pastors and elders, leaders of the church, it, it, Paul gives these qualifications to his disciple as he's thinking about pastors. He says, about pastors, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Here's the reason. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? The implication is that just like you have a family at home, the church is a spiritual family. Jesus, Jesus talked about how we would have many more brothers and sisters by following him than we could have by, by holding on to just the family that God's given us. The church is the family of God. That's one of the, the unique things that I've experienced here at J-Town Baptist is this is a family. We belong to one another as we belong to Jesus Christ and we do things together as a family. See, friends, the, the church is a place that you can belong. 
despite how broken you are, despite how many mistakes you've made in life, despite the ways that you struggle with sin on a daily basis, the church is a place for broken, messed up people to find a home. As we trust in the God who redeems us by his grace. And so how do, how do I become a part of this family, this local church? Well, if you're not yet a part of this family, we would love to see that happen. And I, I hope that you'll go to our website and you can find uh, at jtownbaptist.com slash resources slash membership. You can find a, a form where you're going to be able to share your testimony with us. And, and one of us pastors will, will schedule a time to get together with you and, and talk about you joining this family because that's what it is. The church is a family, a home for broken, messed up people who need the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll jump in. And I hope we continue to do this thing together. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are so grateful for your work in us. God, you loved us when we were unlovable. You pursued us when we would not pursue you. You've called us to yourself even before we looked to call out to you. And you've made us a part of a people called for your own possession. You've made us a part of a spiritual house that you're building. You've made us a part of a family and given us a home. And so, God, I pray for my friends right now who don't have that. God, I ask that you would give them the courage to take that next step of faith, whether it's trusting in you for the first time, turning from sin and believing the gospel, whether it's getting baptized and declaring that faith, that saving work that you've done in them already in a public setting, or whether it's joining this local church or another where they can worship you with other believers and learn from one another and serve together. God, I pray that you would bring that about in us for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name.